Thanks, Nick. Well, good evening, St. Michael's. Um, I was at church this morning for a couple of services. We had the choir, we had bring and share, and my throat is struggling. So thank you for members of the congregation that have given me strepsils, Fox's Glacier Mints, and all sorts. I've asked Judy to kindly help me at a point in the service in reading the scriptures, because there are a lot of them. So um, Judy will come up in a moment. So for those of you that don't know me, my name is Linda, and I am part of the church plant team that was sent out from St. Michael's in 2019 to St. John's. Um, and that's all I'll say about me, really. As Nick already mentioned, we are starting a new sermon series this evening, and we are looking at ordinary women that God used in extraordinary ways. And I'm sure if you're like me, you've got your favourites, okay? So here are my favourites in order. Deborah. Mm. Ruth. Esther. And Mary, the mother of Jesus. And I'm sure that all of you have your favourites too. Now this evening, um, as Nick has mentioned, we are going to look together at the story of Hannah. And Hannah is an extraordinary woman who basically rose above adversity by pers persevering in prayer. Now, when I've said the name Hannah, I wonder what the first thought was that came into your minds. And those of you that know your Bibles, you know that Hannah is described in the Bible as the woman who is barren. And as a mum of two sons, I really don't feel qualified this evening to talk about infertility, but I do feel that we have to acknowledge that because that's what this story is essentially about. And I know too that some subjects are a bit taboo in a church setting, and infertility might be one of them. However, infertility affects loads and loads of couples. And I think that even in a meeting of this size, there may be people struggling with fertility issues right here, right now, amongst us. I did a bit of research on this, and on the NHS website, it says that one in seven couples may have difficulty conceiving a child, and that infertility can affect either partner. Um, and anyone that has experienced that or struggled with it knows too well the serious ramifications of that not only affecting people physically, but also their emotional well-being. This week I read an article, and in the article it said that people struggling with infertility issues, 90% of them will experience some form of depression, and 42% experience suicidal thoughts. And I was just really just shocked at those figures. Now, couples can feel angry, sad, frustrated, and these feelings can impact self-esteem and self-confidence. Now, as a woman, I know what that feeling is like to long for a child. And I also know, because we've got two sons, the feeling of elation when they come into the world, and instantly, the pain is forgotten, and you just love this child with everything in you. But I have got many friends who have been unable to conceive a child. And some of them have had miscarriages, 
And one friend in particular, I remember going to full term and giving birth to a stillborn baby. And this heartache that is felt by parents um, is, is immense and really, really hard to um, process. And for some people, the grieving has lasted years. And for others, it takes an absolute lifetime. So when Nick sent me the sermon title, when he asked me to speak about Hannah, I've always thought that the story of Hannah, it just puzzles me. It really, really puzzles me. Why would you desperately long for a child, pray earnestly to God for a child, only to then give the child away? And it's with that question in mind that we are going to open up God's word this evening. But before we do, I just want to pray and then I'll invite Judy to come and read the scriptures for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that all our lives take place in your sight. Nothing is hidden from you. You know everything about us. You know when we sit and when we rise, and you perceive our thoughts from afar, and you're familiar with all our ways. Lord, we lift before you the precious couples who are struggling with infertility. We ask that you would comfort them and surround them with your love. Would you richly bless them and fill them with your peace and your strength? And Lord, for us this evening, as we open your word, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to understand, reflect, and apply all that we read in your holy scriptures. Would you be our teacher, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Judy, would you join me? Thank you. So we're reading from 1 Samuel, that can be found on page 271, if you want to follow it in the Bible that's in front of you. Um, we're starting at chapter 1, verse 1. There was a certain man from Ramathame, a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrificed to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? 
Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting in his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favour in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family, to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfil his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord. As surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he shall be given over to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. Then Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord, 
In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly, or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with the princes and makes them inherit a throne of honour. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much for reading that um, for us. Really appreciate that. And I hope that um, you can see that that story is essentially you'd see Hannah going from weeping to rejoicing. Now, that was a lot to take in in that story, so I'm going to summarise it very quickly for us. Elkanah, so the husband, must have believed that polygamy was okay because it says he has two wives, Hannah and Penina, as if one wife isn't enough. (laughs) And for all intents and purposes, it seems like Penina is the wife who is really blessed. As it says in the Bible, she has borne children for Elkanah. She's given him sons and daughters. And although Penina is obviously blessed, she sounds like an unpleasant character to me. She is spiteful, hateful, and jealous. And if you read through the whole of the book of 1 Samuel, you'll see that jealousy is a theme that runs through the book. So I don't know if Penina's problem was that she was jealous, Because as was read in the scriptures, Elkanah used to give um, Hannah a double portion of the sacrifice. And maybe that is what caused Penina to be so jealous. Now, during that time um, of the Bible when this story was written, bearing children was highly valued. It was a woman's primary role. And both Hannah and Penina would have known that. In fact, all of the young women would have known in their culture that one day, 
someone, somewhere, would give birth to the promised Messiah. And I wonder if the young ladies would have lived in a state of, oh, will it be me? And Penina used this to her advantage and provoked Hannah, irritating her, taunting her, and this went on year after year. Hannah was verbally abused by Penina. I'm just going to call it what it is. And she was abused because she was different. She was different to the women in her culture because she was barren and the Lord had closed her womb. Now many of us, many of us sitting right here, knows what it feels like to live in a society where we are different, to be looked down upon, or to be considered to be somehow less than. And this constant attack on Hannah would have, I feel, just ground down the most hardy character. It was constant. Penina was relentless with her taunts year after year. And the abuse was so severe that Hannah would end up in tears. So much so, she was so affected by this constant taunting, she couldn't even eat. And even her husband, Elkanah, he couldn't console Hannah. And he couldn't understand why she was so distressed. He loved Hannah greatly, so much so he would give her a double portion of the sacrifice. And he did this constantly, year after year. But it appears that Elkanah is beside himself when he says the words. You have me. Am I not better than ten sons? And you can hear the distress in his voice. He loves Hannah despite what she cannot give to him. And when I read that story, I just have this sense of she must have been pretty special, a really special lady. And I want us to just look at, again, I want us to zoom in on the character of Elkanah's barren wife. And if we can bring up verses 9 to 11, that would be good of our reading. And I'm just going to repeat it for us. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head." I'm sure that there are many of us here tonight that face terrible situations in life. Some of them I know. So I know there are people here that have faced terrible situations. Sometimes the situations may have weighed us down or even paralyzed us. And many of us, including me, have experienced hope deferred, which can make the heart sick. No one likes waiting. It's good to get what we want when we want it. But when our expectations are delayed for a long time, we can feel disappointment, discouragement, and a loss of hope. And hope deferred can look like many things. It can look like the loved one that we're praying for. And year after year, despite our earnest prayers, the person still doesn't give their life to the Lord. And this can go on for a long time. 
you could have hope deferred if you're looking for a job. And there's this constant cycle of applications, interviews, rejections, applications, interviews, rejections. Or you could be struggling with a long-term health issue and you're battling, praying and hoping for a miracle. Anything that takes a long time, that keeps being postponed, can make our heart really, really sick. Very sick indeed. But we read in verse 9, and these are the words that just stood out for me. They kind of hit me from the scriptures. Hannah stood up. Now, I don't know if it means she physically stood up or if that's a metaphorical stood up. I don't know. But one thing is clear from the Bible. Something has changed. It's as if Hannah takes charge. Instead of being sort of put down by these words from Penina and the situation she found herself in, she demonstrates great strength. And Hannah decides to do something radical. Hannah prayed. And could it be that Hannah's prayers of weeping are very similar to the psalmist's? In Psalm 39, I think it's verse 12, these are the words. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. In her distress, Hannah is weeping bitterly before the Lord. And sometimes our prayers need to be drenched in tears. In actual fact, I would say that sometimes our prayers need to be flooded in tears. And I remember about a year ago or so, overnight, I became extremely unwell. Sickness came upon me suddenly and without any explanation, and I could do nothing to help myself. There was no one around, and I have never felt so ill in all my life. I couldn't read my Bible. I couldn't even open my Bible. I couldn't articulate a prayer. I just couldn't do anything. So what did I do? I just sat there on the floor and cried. And I just kept crying. And as I was crying, I was reminded of the words from the scriptures in Psalm 56, verse 8, that God keeps track of all our sorrows. He collects all our tears in his bottle. He records each one in his book. And when I was thinking about this, this past few weeks, perhaps in the midst of her deep pain and anguish, Hannah feels comforted by the Lord through all of the tears and crying. And what does she do? She calls upon the Lord Almighty, who is Lord over everything. And some other translation says that she called upon the Lord of heaven's armies. And another translation says she called upon the Lord of hosts. Hannah cried out to the Lord, the Lord who is powerful and mighty as a leader. And she makes a vow to the Lord of hosts. If you give me a son, I will give him back to you to serve you all the days of his life. Now, I mentioned earlier that I'm a mum of two sons who I love dearly. And as parents, my husband's there on the second row, we um, sacrificed a lot, a real lot to bring up our children and provide them with everything that they need. However, 
For me, our two sons became idols. They meant the world to me. They were the most important thing in my life, placed way above Almighty God. When our eldest son was 17, we were all at church together, and some of the folk in here tonight were there that night, I remember. And the youth group, they sort of took over the first two rows, and us older folk were a bit further back. And we had somebody speaking at the front, and this person was talking about um, missionary work in Uganda. And he ended his talk by saying, oh, if anybody's heart is stirring, you must respond to the call of, of God on your life because that will be the Holy Spirit stirring you. And I remember sitting near the back row, looking towards the front two rows and looking at the back of our son's head. And I was praying, please, Lord, don't send our child on a mission trip to Uganda. I was filled with fear for his safety and the fact that he was so young. And also, I didn't want him to serve the Lord in that way. I wanted him to choose another way, something a bit closer to home. So we left the church that afternoon and we went home and I didn't mention this visiting speaker, nobody mentioned it. We got home and I remember we were having our Sunday lunch together and then the words I didn't want to hear came. Mum, Dad, I believe the Lord is calling me to go on a mission trip to Uganda. And I hate to say it and confess this here in church, but my immediate response was, no. No, you can't go and we can't afford it. The trip was expensive and the vaccines are expensive, so no. But my reaction did not deter our son. He already had a part-time job at Adventure Island and he literally saved every single penny and paid for the trip himself. And needless to say, the end of the story is he went to Uganda and the Lord worked through him and in him powerfully. You see, I had a problem. I don't think I have that problem now. I definitely had that problem then. I didn't trust God to take care of my children. I trusted God to take care of me, but not to take care of my children. But not so with Hannah. She was an extraordinary woman who made a promise to God. And from what we read about Hannah, I don't know about you, but if somebody is provoking and taunting you like that, I know in the Bible it says turn the other cheek, but I don't know how many of us really could do that. But Hannah has no reaction to the taunts. So Hannah is not only a really wonderful, godly woman, she's actually alive and living at the time of the darkest period for God's people, the time of the Judges. That was a turbulent time. Anybody who's read through the book of Judges, it doesn't make good reading. And I just read through it again this week, and this is what I've summarised from it when I was reading it. We see chaos, rape, murder, civil war, disobedience to God's will and God's ways. We see God's people being infected by the surrounding culture. Extensive idolatry, with God's people putting everything before God, even other people before God. And at the end of the book of Judges, there is this stark warning. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. 
And for me, that sounds familiar to the time that we're living in today. And this is a cut the culture and the context that Hannah was living in. And Hannah must have seen that all around her, God's people were failing. Even those serving in the temple at Shiloh. When Judy was reading, she stopped before the really gruesome bit. I didn't want to bring that tonight, but I'll just summarise that bit. Even those serving in the temple at Shiloh, where every year Hannah would have observed and experienced the evil and wickedness of Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, who were priests at the temple of the Lord. And the ESV translation describes these sons of Eli as worthless men, and they did not know the Lord. Yet year after year, Hannah would go up to Shiloh with her husband to worship the Lord there. Now I'm just giving you my opinion here, because we will not know the answer to this until we get to heaven. Could it be that Hannah's sorrow about not having a child got somehow reorientated in her mind when she sees the condition of the temple? Perhaps Hannah recognised that what her people needed more than anything was leadership. Good, righteous, God-fearing leadership. Not anything goes. Did she want a child so that she could actually put this whole situation right in her lifetime? Is that the reason that Hannah made this vow to the Lord? Is she calling upon the Lord of hosts to raise up godly leadership? Because she perceives that that is exactly what her people need at that time, at the time she was living in. And isn't that exactly what we need in the time that we're living in? And I know and we know from the scriptures that Lord heard Hannah's cries. She persevered in prayer. And the Bible tells us, and I just love the way God deals with us. The Bible tells us that God remembered Hannah. He'd never forgotten Hannah, but he remembered Hannah. And that means he brought Hannah to mind. It was as if the spotlight of God was suddenly upon her. But it seems to me that God was already doing something in Hannah's heart. Because Almighty God knew that he was going to bring the period of the judges to an end. And he also knew that he needed a new godly leader. And that godly leader would be Samuel, the child that Hannah had agreed to give to God for all of his life. And Hannah's story, I just think it's a wonderful story, and it reveals her relationship, doesn't it, with God. Hannah got to know God over that time. She knows his character and his ways. And Hannah experienced the truth about the Lord, something that really, really took me a long time. Hannah doesn't only trust the Lord with her life, she trusts the Lord with her child's life. Why else would she leave her loved, prayed-for child at the temple where the evil priests, Phineas and Hophni, presided? She must have known that the Lord would take care of Samuel Hannah must have realised that nothing is outside of the control of Almighty God. She knew from experience that God is in charge, and it is God who has delivered her. 
And Hannah's story has echoes of the story of Abraham and Isaac. It's like a story of sacrificial love in action. Um, And Hannah, she demonstrates great faith. She knew what she had to do, and the Lord just chose her to be the person to do it. I am in no doubt that Hannah loved Samuel. She gave birth to him, she weaned him, she got him to a stage before she would release him into the temple. But Hannah's love for God was greater. And in Hannah's prayer, we see a pattern. And if you get time, just look through those lines, you see this pattern. God does not work through strength. He works through weakness. He works through the weak, the poor, and the excluded. If Hannah had not experienced the sorrow that she'd experienced, or gone through the cultural rejection that she'd received, or the alienation that she felt, she may not have had the revelation that she had. And at the end of Hannah's prayer, she sees beyond a pattern to a person, our Lord Jesus Christ. The only cure for humanity's sin, guilt, shame and fear fear is our deliverer, our saviour, Jesus. He's the only cure. And the key to this story is really, really simple. Everything is foreseen by the Lord. Everything. Nothing is a surprise to him. God is always working his plans, his purposes, in his timing. And he's looking for a people to trust in him, holding nothing back but to trust him completely. And Hannah's story illustrates that we can trust in Almighty God. So what does this mean for us today? Nick talked about the cost of living crisis. There's the war. There's the drought. There's the flooding. There's the crime. If you open up any news media outlet, it's all bad news. All of it. But no matter how dark things get, The Lord wants us to remember that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all those who live in it, and the Lord of heaven's armies, he's in charge, and he has a solution. And that solution is right at the end of the reading that Judy uh, read for us. That solution is the anointed one, the Messiah, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, we do just thank you for your word. And we thank you for the encouragement that we see in Hannah's story. Lord, you know that we are fragile human beings. And if we're honest, sometimes your promises feel like as if they're taking forever.